1: John Chabowski has supported Independent Tech News Directly for five years. Be like John. Become a DTNS member at patreon.com slash DTNS. This is the Daily Tech News for Wednesday, January 9th, 2018. From the Las Vegas Convention Center at CES 2019, I'm Tom
2: Merritt. And I'm Sarah Lane. I'm
1: Shannon Morse. Hey, I am Robert Heron. And uh, Robert, of course, here from AVXL and expert on all things HDTV. Good to have you. Absolutely love it, Shannon. Thank uh, you. Of course, uh, from ThreatWire and Tech Thing. And uh, wait, what? I want to get the name right. Uh, oh. Sailor Snubs, <laughs> my new YouTube channel. <laughs> the YouTube channel. Uh, and and all of us have been uh, crowding the show floor. Our producer Roger Chang is here. His mic will work on the Hangout.
2: Hello, it know. works on the Hangout. Yeah.
1: Uh, so we'll we'll navigate around that, uh, but we uh, still have a lot to talk about. Not maybe not as much as the last couple of days, but still a lot. So let's start with a few tech things you should know.
2: Yesterday we passed along Google's assertion that Google Assistant would indeed come to Sonos speakers in 2019 after missing the original 2018 target and today Sonos itself announced yes, it started a private beta test of Google Assistant on its smart speakers for a 2019 launch. Google Assistant would directly integrate into Sonos One and Beam speakers and older Sonos models will work in conjunction with Google Homes and similar smart speakers.
1: Allison Sheridan alerted us on Monday's show uh, to a robot Tesla collision and now has alerted us to Electrek's article noting that the Tesla collision with a Promobot may have been staged. We regret any misimpression we may have given and denounce the sacrifice of innocent robot lives in the name of public relations. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yale and MTech are showing off smart door locks that run August Smart Lock software. The parent company of both locks also owns August, so this isn't a huge surprise. But it is interesting to see that the software is moving to non-August platforms without the need to purchase additional equipment. The MTech models are $390 coming in April or $440 with a keypad coming in February. The Yale lock is meant for interior or basement or side doors and versions with keys, keypads, and touch screens. They range from $149 to $299 shipping in Q1.
1: LG is going to use Microsoft Azure DataBox AI service in its advanced driver assistance systems, driver status monitoring camera, and multi-purpose front camera, which is providing to an unidentified premium German automaker. There aren't that many of them, so you probably have a good chance of guessing which one it is. It's using Azure's virtual assistant solution Accelerator for traffic updates, restaurant listings, and music. Microsoft's also partnering with Volkswagen on an automotive cloud. So Microsoft's starting to move into this space a little bit, too.
2: Some good news for those of us with more than one Instagram account, perhaps a Finsta. The iOS version will now allow you to post a photo or video to multiple accounts at once. CEO Kevin Systrom told Wired back in 2017 that the company preferred to focus on authenticity and user connections by not allowing things like regrams and multi-posts within Instagram itself. But Systrom has since left the company, and it looks like... It's a new world.
1: Just in time for us not to be able to cross post at CES. <laughs> maybe Thank maybe you, next year, Tom. Instagram. All right, let's uh, talk about some of the cool things we've been seeing at CES. We've been keeping you up on the big news and the press announcements. Uh, but once you get into Wednesday, it starts to be a little bit flexible about what you want to talk about. And uh, Robert Heron, obviously uh, seeing all the TVs and the home theater stuff out there. Robert, what, let's start with, I actually want to ask you a question. Mini LEDs, that, that's sort of the trend buzzword, this CES. What what are mini LEDs? What are they good for? Why are we hearing so much about it? Certainly.
0: Uh, it, one, it's an easy upgrade, but the main benefit would be that the ability to control the backlight on an LCD television will be much more granular. Instead of having large, blocky zones, like if you've ever looked at an edge-lit TV where it has just LEDs along one side of it, you literally have stripes of zone control that are mm. gigantic. And it's really hard to have edges that can have a high-bright zone and then pitch black next to it. So, if you can increase the number of LEDs behind the screen, and in, in this case, we're talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, uh, you will end up not only uh, more, I think a picture that comes closer to looking like OLED looks like, in terms of being able to produce those inky dark blacks, yet minimize the blooming artifacts and other things that can occur when you're dealing with high contrast content.
1: Excellent. Uh, Seriously. what What is one of the things that is, has caught your eye the most? Uh, well, a couple, too. Well, start right off the bat with TCL's 8 series, that's an
0: example of a TV that's being upgraded. If you consider what the 6 series was, super popular, affordable, and it supported things like Dolby Vision and HDR10, the 8 series is going to add, for the first time, quantum dot technology for improved color performance. We're seeing that in a lot more TVs now, you were saying. And they're quoting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of micro LEDs on the back Mm -hmm. of the TV. So, I'm guessing it's at least 300 LEDs 300 zones, so to speak. But right nearby at the Sense booth, they were showing off a large format display, 8K, that will be out later this year, that had, quote-unquote, 5,376 LEDs driving wow. behind the panel. So very good granularity wow. in terms of uh, light control and everything like that. And What's apparently they even have a retailer ready to go, so this is something that
1: will actually show up. Everybody seriously. wants to know out there, like, why do I care about 8K? Is there a reason yet...
0: I personally think that once you hit certain screen sizes, especially large screen sizes in particular, it's just nice to have the pixels be about the same size, say, as a 65-inch or a 55-inch 4K TV. Because if you just simply scale the size of the panel up, the pixels need to get larger and larger and larger. And if you tend to sit a little closer, you're going to notice that. So by having literally four times the amount of pixels compared to an 8K screen or compared to a 4K screen, You're just going to have a better experience, especially if you sit closer. The other thing is it is going to require additional processing because there is no 8K content, really. So you're going to need something that can take your 4K content or let alone HD or SD content Mm -hmm. and scale that properly and make it look really good. And I've seen lots of demos where 4K Blu-ray on an 8K screen, I really had a hard time seeing a difference between that and native 8k content on the screen itself
3: so would an 8k screen make more sense in like a big business platform like in a stadium or a studio or something like that
0: Uh, at any distance beyond where you could appreciate the detail it really wouldn't be necessary that's where you could get away especially for something like outdoor signage or things like that one nice thing about it, the AK screen is, literally, you could quad split it and have four 4K streams going at once. Oh, uh, yeah, true. That, yeah. That's it's always a feature true. I would want. Yeah. Let, me, let me have crazy sports day with multiple things <laughs> in high quality where I'm not really having to sacrifice the resolution per se.
1: Now, I know uh, you've been seeing a lot of laser projectors, not lazy projectors, but laser projectors, very (laughs) hard-working laser projectors uh, at at some crazy prices, and and one in particular that turned your head. Tons of killer deals. So if
0: you've been considering something that replaces the lamp module with a laser-based system, uh, LG recently introduced their short-throw design that gives you a dual-color laser system for improved color. But the one that really caught my eye was, again, over at the Hisense booth. They're actually showing off the first time I've seen in a consumer unit three color laser red blue and green is the primary colors being driven to in this case it was just a 70 inch screen but it, even in its prototype stage it looked fantastic and they're talking about having this in in the stores before the end of the year and if you compare other companies that do currently make three color laser projectors we're talking pricing in like starting at fifty thousand dollars and quickly getting up into six figures oh, yeah. and Having this true three-color laser system is going to be necessary for achieving the full quality of things like BT2020 that's part of the HDR spec, a super wide color palette with very saturated red, blues, greens, and this is really the way to do it. And I'm it's gonna be less than twenty thousand dollars. I'm thinking it's gonna be closer to fifteen when it comes out later this year. And with the proper calibration setup on that, that could be one of the very best looking displays you could have in your home theater. Yeah,
1: for, for you high-end home theater people, not not me, but for you. And also, they call it a smart TV, too, because the, you a could lot of these that, If you can afford that, pl- back our Patreon. Do
0: <laughs> they do integrate uh, smart functionality into a lot of these products nowadays.
1: Uh, and finally, uh, speaking of Hisense, I know you saw one cool Hisense technology that's that's turned some engineers' heads.
0: I, this was crazy. Uh, they actually have a 4K screen coming out later this year, and I forget which model it is off the top of my head, but the cool thing about it is it's a 4K panel, but they bonded a 1080p screen to the back of that very precisely with a very well done gap that is very even because if there's any kind of distortion there, you're going to end up screwing up the whole picture. But the deal is is that the backlighting system then is basically controlled by that 1080p screen before it hits the color filter and the 4K panel itself. So you end up with, effectively, for every 4 pixels on, that LED, on the LED screen up front, you've got a pure control system for it behind it, being able to use that 1080p screen mm-hmm. to turn off the backlight completely in those areas and overall it was just providing really good off-axis viewing in addition to just superb contrast and the local dimming control even on things that are technically really challenging like curved objects like a soccer ball it once it rolled into the screen the blooming artifacts were all but gone yeah. and it is another one of those products where it's coming sooner than later and like you mentioned all of the big players in TV manufacturing were, were sending teams of engineers out to actually get close up with these TVs, including doing very precise measurements with very expensive gear. Wow. I mean, uh, <laughs> Samsung, Sony, and LG, I think they all sent squads out to go oh, take a look at wow. Using
1: a 1080p screen to, to basically be the shutter... To to stop the light is is pretty ingenious, but it's not an easy trick, it sounds like. No, and
0: there's no. I'm not aware of another company doing it, although there is somebody claiming they've got something similar. The key with what Hisense is doing is that when they do the bonding process, they actually have this spherical material that is precisely calibrated at a certain size. It gets fed in between both panels. The panels get pressed together, bonded, and then all those beads get sucked out. And it's not easy to do because it requires a very precise evenness between both mm-hmm. layers. And, but having that, it's a unique way to control the backlight that gets you closer and closer to per-pixel control, yeah. like you have with OLED screens. It's like 4-pixel control, right? Something and to be like honest that. with you, on an 8K screen, 4 pixels are really... or a 4K screen, 4 pixels are pretty tiny. Yeah. That's going to give you superb edge backlight control for
1: things like minimizing blooming artifacts and halos yeah. and other things that really are just distracting Local dimming is another one of those uh, trends that you're seeing on a lot of these TVs as well. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, some of the things Shannon has seen. Uh, yeah. you, we talked about the Area 51M briefly on Monday show, but you got up close with it.
3: Yeah, so for the past couple of days, I've really been focusing on video gaming because I've been doing work with NVIDIA and Alienware. So that's like... The the only things I've seen so far. (laughs) (laughs) So everything, all of my picks are video gaming. Uh, But the Alienware Area 51M, yeah, it's a uh, 17-inch brand-new design from Alienware. And what really interested me was the fact that it's fully upgradable. And it comes with desktop parts inside this mobile rig. Yeah, Yeah, inside of a laptop. And as far as I know, this is the only one on the market that you can do that with. You can upgrade the CPU and the GPU in this thing. And it does come with the RTX 2080 Ti, which is excellent. comes with tons of RAM and tons of storage on the inside as well. And then it has the newest um, CPU options available as well. Um, But I I really enjoyed looking at the design up close because the back, like, it still has that Alienware concept. But they've really tried to influence it and make it look, like, sleeker Mm -hmm. than the current model like this one that I have. So it has, like, a nice white... Just a stark white uh, backing plate to it, or you can get like a just a simple gray one, but you s- can still get the RGBs as well, so you have all the rainbow colors, which I thoroughly enjoy. Um, so it was just a very interesting laptop.
0: I hear modular and I think clunky, was it?
3: It's it's big. Okay. It doesn't look clunky. It looks perf- it looks sleek. It's a high performance gaming
1: notebook. It's a so.
3: well, I wouldn't call it a notebook even. Like yeah. they, they say it's mobile, not portable. <laughs> it is a desktop okay. replacement. Yeah, it's a it's a
1: clamshell desktop.
3: It's a big device. Um, I read online that it it weighs nine pounds, but I'm not cool. sure if that's correct. I saw so, ten. So I oh, yeah, you saw ten. Okay, it might be like nine
1: point eight. Yeah. So like
3: I don't I don't know if I would necessarily take it with me to like conventions and stuff because I'm a small girl and I don't want to hurt my back. Mm-hmm. But this is something that you would replace a desktop with. So now, pretty cool.
1: Lighter is a protocol that's been used in other devices. The yes. uh, you you got to to see the Corsair Slipstream stuff.
3: That was really interesting f- to me, especially from like a security and privacy uh, concept. So Slipstream is a wireless technology that Corsair came up with that they're going to be building into their new wireless products. So like they have a mouse that's coming out this year that's going to cost fifty bucks, which is pretty inexpensive for n- a nice quality wireless mouse. Uh, but this one it's 2.4 gigahertz but the reason why it's new wireless technology is because it does channel hopping. Mm. Uh, They call it something different uh, as far as like interior design but the way that it works is it looks for the channel on 2.4 gigahertz wireless frequencies that has the least congestion, and it'll switch to that one within a couple of milliseconds. So it also lowers your latency, which is a big issue with gamers and wireless mice, yeah, yeah. mice or mouses. Uh, so it, it helps with if you want to have wireless technology uh, but you're also a video gamer and, and you care about that latency and that lag. Uh, this is supposed to cut down on that. I believe that it would be more secure as well because if you put this up against like a Wi-Fi pineapple, unless you have you know forty-five different Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi pineapples oh, and you're running on, yeah, yeah it, it just keeps on hopping. So it would be very hard for me to control wherever it's going and be able to follow that access point, especially mm-hmm. if it's random.
1: Excellent. Uh, and then finally, this is not a new product, but uh, we talked back in September about the Acer Thronos, uh, the, <laughs> the big gaming chair with the multiple monitors. You got to sit in one. I, How got, was to, it?
3: I got to sit in one. And it was surprisingly comfortable and kind of scary at the same time. I felt like I was in one of those, like Gundam Wing or something, like an anime, an anime about mobile suit Gundams. Uh, but it's huge, and the thing weighs tons of pounds. You have to, if you purchase one and it costs like $10,000, and it comes with everything including Cheaper the than PC. A laser projector. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, but if you purchase one it comes in like crates and then you have to build it like it's a piece uh, of wow. IKEA furniture. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but it comes with like the monitors, the mouse, keyboard, wow. it comes with the entire case next to it and that's what you would get for 10 grand but you can change all the colors on it. It has vibration on the seat mm-hmm. that you can sync with the video game, too.
1: Right. So right. It's,
3: it's interesting.
1: Very cool. Very cool. Uh, and then, Sarah, we, we got to walk around on the floor a little bit, finally, uh, right. yesterday. What are the, some of the things that caught your eye?
2: Well, the stuff that I always end up gravitating to is stuff that I can afford and stuff that actually <laughs> makes a lot of sense for me in in the daily life that so I not a lead. Else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, uh, the Flexi Spot uh, is something that I actually tried out yesterday. It's a stationary bike-desk combination, but it has a tiny little footprint. This is a desk that a laptop would go on. You wouldn't put a desktop on top of this. And it's pretty small to the point where Roger said, yeah, I don't know, it might be a little flimsy for me. Well, I tried it, and it actually worked out really nicely. This is something that you can just kind of be moving while you're doing your daily stuff. I have this problem all the time because I'm at home, so I don't really want to go to the gym because i of got to work. And I, I'm not going to take my laptop to the gym and I can't really do too much stuff on the tablet when we're, we're, we're preparing for the show. This is something I could put in the corner. It's $400. Bucks, uh, it's available now and I I, I, I might buy it tomorrow. Uh, another <laughs> another one in the exact same vein is the walking pad. There are a few versions of this. This one is actually made by Xiaomi. Uh, $500. Bucks. Um, it's kind of hard to find a, a, a seller online, but there are certainly quite a few reviews. It was actually uh, announced back in September that Xiaomi would be showing off the walking pad here at CES, and indeed we saw a version of this. This is, this is a treadmill that is just for walking. In fact, it maxes out at, I think, like 3.8 miles per hour, so you're not even jogging, but you can briskly walk, I mean, if you have small legs like I do, and it sits real close to the floor. You can fold it up when you're not using it, and the idea would be, I don't know, I watch a lot of TV. I don't like to feel like a couch potato, but I can go 10 hours binging on a show maybe if I just unfold the walking pad and just walk while I'm watching TV or even combine that with something like a standing desk or Mm -hmm. even a a high counter a lot of us have little little counters that we have in our kitchen that, Mm -hmm. that you know that that you use with with higher stools. I would
1: totally fall down if I tried to do that.
2: You might, and I and I might too. But again, this is something that's it's kind of a leisurely walking thing. Instead of sitting or even standing because a standing desk I've tried them before they're just not right for me i kind of have to be moving or my back starts hurting i would buy this again 500 bucks so it is an investment but if you think about a gym membership mm. or walking outside where you really can't do anything on your computer while you're doing that uh, i think it pays for itself really quickly take
1: notice the dog for a walk on it
2: i might <laughs> right yeah once he learns to skateboard we'll, yeah, get yeah. a, we'll get him a walking pad
1: uh excellent uh and Anything else that that you guys, just in general, impressions, not things, about CES? Because everybody always likes to say, like, oh, the CES is not as good as previous, or it's quieter than previous, or there's more stuff. What what do you guys feel?
3: Uh, Literally everything has 2080s in them. Yeah. That's my feels. Mm -hmm,
1: (laughs) mm -hmm. Robert, what about you?
0: I think it's just... I'm not seeing anything dramatically different on the display side of things from last year. It's more of a refinement of what's going on and people paying more attention to the issues that were cropping up in last year's panels. And even today, we're seeing things in certain series of TVs that it's like, why is this happening? Oh, does this also apply to the 2019 series? And it's just good to see these companies at least focusing on those things and getting them mailed down and and squashed so that the, the the person who buys this has a better experience. I don't
1: know end. if it was just because we went to some different stuff. Like, we went to Spoon's Food Tech Live last night, which was really fun, but Sarah and I were talking about we're, we're seeing more little interesting things, mm-hmm. at least, yeah. this time, yeah. I think.
2: Yeah, the pizza maker. Yeah, the eats up to 700 degrees. does a
1: pizza in three minutes. Yeah. From, from Breville, I think, yeah. It was yeah. from Breville. Yeah.
2: Yeah. This is... You don't really think of that sort of thing at CES. But I was like, that's something that I would like in my kitchen. Yeah, huh.
0: absolutely. Or well, LG's Beer Maker.
1: Yeah, How it's like, know, a, like an LG Pico brew, right? Yeah. there There's some robotic cocktail makers. <laughs> that we, yeah, the we Soma handled. cocktail yeah, maker.
2: Yeah. Uh, we tried that, tried that out last night in the name of science. And the,
1: yeah, it was just purely for review purposes. Yeah. So. <laughs> Pretty
2: delicious.
1: Yeah, not bad. Uh, Robert, we know you g- got to go because everybody always has to go oh, h- here at okay. CES. Uh, but thank you so much for, for taking some time to join us, man. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. If no. folks want to find uh, your coverage of CES and your thoughts about that, where should they go? We'll be chatting it up on AVXL.com
0: in the coming weeks. And. I'm looking forward to getting home I need to finish my damn website robertheron.com right. actually heronfidelity.com it yeah. all goes to the same place yeah exactly <laughs> uh,
1: so heronfidelity.com avxcel.com for the chatting yeah. And uh, Robert, man, good to see you. Thank you very much. All right, take care, man. I'm out of here. All right, let's talk a little bit more about AMD announcing the Radeon 7, the first 7-nanometer GPU marketed to consumers. Now, AMD says it should be about 25% faster than the last model at the same power consumption as its last model. Uh, The Radeon 7 has 60 compute units, speeds up to 1.8 gigahertz, with 16 gigabytes of high-bandwidth memory. Anantech described the Radeon 7 as a Radeon Instinct MI50 but with a bit higher boost clock. Uh, and this one's meant for consumers. AMD CEO Lisa Su showed it running Devil May Cry 5 in 4K at 60 frames per second, and it looked pretty smooth. It arrives February 7th for $699. AMD also announced the 7-nanometer 3rd gen Ryzen 3 chips will start shipping mid-2019. AMD ran a Cinebench test at, at stock frequencies that showed 30% less power draw and a slight edge in performance when you compared it to the Core i9 900K. So, good chip news from AMD. Keep keeping the competition going yay yeah i mean that's that's kind of what to say like until we actually get these things <laughs> yeah. in our hands and can test them it it all sounds good so I'm, I'm always
3: good anyway. i'm always curious about the cpus because as a content creator having something that's fast efficient and very useful is important to me i yep. need to be able to you know render and encode my videos extremely quickly
1: and beatmaster in the chat room says EGPU fodder and that maybe uh-huh. that maybe too yep. that's an interesting thought
2: Exactly. Twitter told Engadget that it will choose a few thousand people to try out new features meant to make Twitter more conversational. Whatever that means, participants will be able to share what they're trying out with their followers and give feedback back to Twitter about how well these tools are working. Twitter will start testing the program in the coming weeks.
3: That's not vague at all.
2: No, I know. <laughs> hey, we want it to be more conversational. Okay. It's already, so. so there's, I use it as a conversation. <laughs> it's funny. It's, it's, there's, there's so much, uh, Twitter has this barrier to entry thing going on. Say hello
3: to a new era of mental health care. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply.
2: Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend.
4: Ad-Free Listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
2: And, and I'm sure that's true. And in fact, I know it's true for a lot of my non-technical friends that like go Twitter. I don't really get it. Well, we all get it. Mm -hmm. So when I hear, okay, we want to make this more conversational, it's like, okay, well, is that a tool that's going to help me? Because a lot of these more conversational tools I actually find annoying, Mm -hmm. which is why I don't use web Twitter. I use a third-party application for Twitter. Right. Because I, I, I find a lot of that, I don't know, distracting more than anything but Twitter's always trying things out
1: yeah so they're going to try some different ways of doing threading like if you want to have a conversation that make it a little more compact Mm -hmm. so that it doesn't just populate your timeline with even with the thread the collapsed thread they're going to do some more things to make that more efficient and a status feature where you can say I'm at CES uh, instead of you know, And, and that, that just cool. automatically pins at the top, stuff like that. So it'll be interesting to see, I think, what they come up with.
2: You know, Twitter, this is unrelated to this particular announcement, but the company also announced that they're going to be showing the second half of NBA games. Except, which you go, okay, oh. well, you know, sometimes the second half is the, the most exciting half. But it's all going to be focused on one particular player. So it's like okay, that's something that I would want, but then something that I would not want.
1: It's a vote too. Like you vote in the first half, which player will be focused on in the second half.
2: And sure, if I'm watching my favorite team, I probably have a favorite player, and maybe I'm kind of looking for that player most of the time. But it's a it's a I'm not going to bag on the experiment before I've seen it. But it sounds like something that. Is something that no one asked for.
1: It's, it's yeah. novel. Maybe novel, they'll like it, but same. nobody asked for it. Yeah. Uh, Bloomberg reported that Samsung is among the companies with agreements to sell their phones with Facebook pre installed. And the story notes that you can't delete the Facebook app when it comes pre installed like that. You can only <laughs> disable it. And a lot of people started freaking out like, so they'll be tracking me because it's Facebook. Well, they'll the next- be listening. Yeah. The Next Web's Ivan Meta points out that the pre installed app isn't the Facebook app, it's a placeholder manager installer stub. Uh, and app researcher Jane Wong notes that it is a non-functional empty shell that doesn't collect any data. The only thing it does is install Facebook. So if you disable it, it basically uninstalls Facebook and leaves the shell hidden. But the shell doesn't do anything.
3: It sounds almost like in Windows having like downloading an executable, but right. not actually running the executable. You just leave it on your desktop. Well, it's
1: it's, <laughs> it's even wor- it's even less than that. Yeah. yeah, because it's not there's not even an executable of Facebook there. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just a, an installer. App yeah, basically.
2: Or deb it sounds kind of like a deb too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, when it comes to Facebook, people tend to get a little bit out of shape Mm -hmm. when whatever something is... A little bit, yeah. (laughs) It it could be a lot of different companies, and sure, it it might have the, the same effect, but when it's Facebook, people go, well, hold on a second. I can't uninstall Facebook? This is They're going to be listening to my conversations. Electrify America and Hubject plan to roll out plug-and-charge functionality to more than 2,000 public fast-charging stations in the U.S. by the end of the year. Electric vehicles that meet ISO 15118 standards can use vehicle-to-grid communications to authenticate and pay for a charging session just by plugging in the car with no need to use a credit card or an app. Huh. Wow.
1: Yeah. That's that's going to be cool to have. And the Indemnus Parachute for Drones has been certified to let operators legally fly over small groups of people. Uh, The Parachute for DJI straps on to the DJI drone and then deploys when the sensor detects flight anomalies. The company had to pass 45 functionality tests, including five different scenarios of failure, to assure that it will deploy when it's needed. The Indemnus Nexus Parachute is available right now for the DJI Inspire 2 and should come to the Matrice 200 at 6 series by the end of the year.
3: Well, I still don't think you should fly your drone over groups of people just because it's kind of rude, but But this would be very useful for an an, event. Exactly, yeah. 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 If you're like a concert organizer and you are the media for that event, you probably want to use a drone to get those shots. Or if the people are part
1: of the shoot and they know it's going over, you know, maybe it's a commercial or something. Uh, Folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day, don't forget Rich Troffolino has been doing the Lord's work, keeping us up to date in less than five minutes every day on what's happening at CES. Go subscribe at Daily. Techheadlines.com. All right, a couple things to explain outside of CES before we wrap up today. Last year, all four U.S. mobile carriers promised to stop selling customer location data to shady companies after Securus, a prison technology company, was caught using the data without customer permission. Well, yesterday, Motherboard reported that it was able to pay a third party $300 in order to locate a phone on T-Mobile's network using real-time location data from the carrier. Mobile carriers sell information to location aggregators, and they haven't stopped doing that. They just said that they would do it more responsibly. The idea is that they could then sell the anonymized aggregated data to companies who want to gain insights into general population movement. They're not supposed to track individuals with that. Uh, T-Mobile sells data to an aggregator company called Zoomigo. Zoomigo sold access to the data to a company called Microbuilt. In the Motherboard case, Microbuilt then sold the data to a bail bond company that shared it with a bail industry source who shared it with Motherboard. AT&T, Sprint, and T-Mobile have all said that reselling in this manner violates its contracts and policies. All carriers require clients to get consent from people before tracking them. And MicroBuilt says it requires that too and has terminated access for the person who passed the information to Motherboard. And in addition, Zoomago has cut off MicroBuilt's access to its data. AT&T has also blocked data from going to MicroBuilt. So depending on how you look at this, it's either uh, they are not keeping track of what happens to the data downstream close enough, which is what Motherboard contends, or somebody who uses this legitimacy like a bail bondsman would get uh, permission from you to say like okay we'll we'll put up the bail bond money if you let us track your phone we'll send you a text you would consent somebody used that with motherboard without consent in order to show that it could be done
2: such a complicated daisy chain thing going on it's it's easy for a company to say all right well we're going to cut off access to this company but these are companies that most of us have never heard of are not familiar with don't know who works there Who's to say you don't just make a make a new contract with another company that does something similar? Yeah. Until someone like motherboard notices that, and then we get another article. About and, it.
1: and the thing is, uh, I don't think some people will be not be okay with this, but a lot of people are okay as long as consent is involved. Mm-hmm. Like there are re- like the bail bond thing. If that makes it easier to get your bond put up, then you're like, yes, please track me. I, I need to be ba- I need to be bailed out. Uh, but they're not putting the controls in place. It's kind of the same thing as Cambridge Analytica. They're saying, hey, they told us they wouldn't abuse it, but nobody was checking.
3: I agree with Motherboard on this. It does sound like they were very irresponsible with the data handling. And I remember when this first came out, the information about how uh, all of the wireless carriers were doing this uh, last year. And it was kind of scary to think that, but you have no way as a consumer to turn that off. And if it was something that you could opt into, yeah, yeah. unless you just don't have a wireless phone... Just go,
1: I don't know. Live in a tiny home in the woods. Right. No, it's supposed to be <laughs> opt-in. There's not. Supposed yeah, it to be able to should use it. be. But you can't stop the data from existing. Exactly. And that's yeah. and when it gets downstream away from the carrier, then so it know, just kind of watching. it puts
3: a bad taste in my mouth. The mm-hmm. whole thing.
1: Spit that out. <laughs>
2: Apple CEO Tim Cook appeared on CNBC's Mad Money program to let people know that the company will launch new services this year. The most obvious service for Apple to launch would be that TV service, given the billions they've spent on, (laughs) as yet, unreleased original programming and the appearance of iTunes TV and movies on Samsung TVs. We talked about that earlier this week. He also said he thought people in the future would call health Apple's greatest contribution to humankind implying perhaps some kind of health-related service coming down the pipe. He also reiterated that the iPhone XR has been the most popular iPhone every day since launch, and the Apple Watch and AirPods bring in more money than the iPod ever did. Kind of an interesting stat. On a related note, Nikkei reports its sources say Apple has reduced planned production of iPhones by 10%, q one of this year. We've sort of
1: beaten the, the phone horse dead in the past <laughs> few days about what's going on there. Yep. So the services thing is interesting. Like I, yeah. I'm like, great, is, are you going to come up with a really cool use for HealthKit later this year? Uh, I'm interested in that. The, whatever the TV service is, I'm absolutely interested in that. Uh, I think the, the, the funniest thing about this story is all, Sarah, Roger, and I were walking back to our hotel, and we saw Tim Cook on screen with the Mad Money logo, and we're like, that must be just a rebroadcast. He wouldn't be talking to Mad Money, would he? Again. Mad no, yeah. no, he was. Wow, <laughs> right. interesting.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, so we'll obviously be following up that story. Uh... <laughs> in 2019. Go help. Thanks to everybody who participates in our subreddit. You keep our brains healthy by submitting stories and voting on others at dailytechnewsshow.reddit.com. We're also on Facebook. If you like Facebook groups, well, have we got a group for you. Facebook.com slash groups slash dailytechnewsshow.
1: We couldn't finish the show without checking the mailbag. We got some CES-related emails from you. Thanks for keeping them coming, folks. What do we got to talk about, Sarah?
2: So Graham, who's a Patreon supporter, thank you, Graham, wrote in about our conversation uh, yesterday about the Motive rings, adding payment options. Uh, Graham says, I'm listening to CES Day 2 podcast. On my morning tube ride, I'm in London. Heard you mention the update to add payment features to Motive rings. For the last 18 months, I've been using daily another payment ring from Curve at MyKRing.com. It has a virtual MasterCard attached to the account. Allows contactless payment or tap-to-tap at businesses that accept Apple Pay and the like. It also works on the London Underground and the bus network. Very convenient and particularly handy during the winter months when you are all rugged up with coats and gloves that make it problematic to get to your physical wallet. The Curve doesn't have onboard authentication, so it's exactly the same as the chip and pin credit debit card in terms of security. If the ring is lost or stolen, you can disassociate the connection between the ring and the card.
1: And uh, I emailed with him because I wanted to ask him about the security function because the whole yeah. thing with the motive is that it uses your, your pulse. It uses your heart That's rate what my question as your authentication, which is really interesting it's, way to do it.
3: It's very, very interesting. Yeah. yeah, this is cool. This sounds like way cooler than even the Japanese system.
1: Them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this is great. Uh, so so Graham even said, like, man, if the motive comes to my market, I might dump the curve for that because it's a little awesome. more secure. Uh, well, thanks again to Robert Heron uh, for joining us today. Uh, HeronFidelity.com, AVXL.com. And thank you, Shannon Morse. Good to see you.
3: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on.
1: If folks want to keep up on what you're doing here at CES and stuff, where should they go?
3: I am doing a lot, a lot of social media stuff. So um, I'm Instagram and Twitter at snubs, S-N-U-B-S, very easy and techthing.com we are posting videos every single day that we are here we're hoping to get at least 10 videos out during the course of the week which is crazy Yeah. but we're trying to see as much as possible so tekthing.com or youtube.com slash techthing is the place to see that
1: and of course as we, as we mentioned uh, the only reason we're able to be here is because you support the show in the various ways that we describe at dailytechnewsshow.com slash support we have a little video there now if you're like how can I support DTNS go to dailytechnewsshow.com slash support Just watch the video. Uh, If you support us on Patreon, which is our biggest funder, people who stay with Patreon at a particular tier for three months right now will get merchandise with Len Peralta's five-year anniversary art on it. Uh, if you're at the co-executive producer or analyst level for three months, you get a sticker. Advisors, get a poster. And if you're at the master level, stay at that tier for three months, you'll get a mug. You can find out all about that at patreon.com DTNS slash merch.
2: If you want to talk to us, well, our email address is feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. Keep those emails coming. They're great. We're also live Monday through Friday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2130 UTC. Please join us live if you can. It's a lot of fun. You can find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com.
1: We'll be back from Los Angeles tomorrow talking to Justin Robert Young. See you then.
0: This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this
1: program.
4: <laughs> Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
3: Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier.
2: And I'm Kate Spencer.
3: And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today...